host of this podcast. This show is all about giving you, the listener, actionable insights to share your faith. I interview church leaders and congregation members alike to gain some understanding that both you and I can implement to share Jesus. Every week I work hard to locate and interview someone who can share their experience. Can you do me a favour? Would you mind sharing today's episode with one or two people that you know? One or two people that would be encouraged, that would be helped by today's content. Just copy the link and send it on via text or email. I'd love to see more people encouraged to share their faith. Now let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Win Win Evangelism podcast. My name's Tina Waldrum. Today I'm speaking with Andrew Menzies, who is the author of Kingdom Communities and the now senior pastor at Mitcham Baptist in Victoria. Welcome to you, Andrew. Hi, Tina. Great to be with you. It's fantastic to have you along. And I love this whole concept of kingdom communities. And there's so much discussion around that at the moment. So tell us a little bit about what it was your mindset. What's your understanding? What were you thinking when you used the terminology kingdom communities? Yeah, right. So the, the term kingdom communities came from a couple of threads. Um, we were trying to not use church language. Um, church language creates as many opportunities as, for Christians as it does problems for people who are outside of the church. And the word church actually only appears in the Gospels two or three times in total. Uh, it's translated from the word ecclesia, which has other meanings, uh, and, it, and it's become what we understand now as a modern congregation or denomination, which is just not the biblical imagination. So we tried to keep away from that angle, but also in the book, there's a story uh, about what happened in the Churches of Christ in Queensland as they brought together their care arm and their church arm. And part of their journey was finding new language that wasn't around church and and churchifying things and reaching unchurched and as though the aim is for people to be churched. Uh, the, the aim is for people to meet Jesus and for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. So we intentionally, while being active participants and I'm a pastor of a church, while being active in that, we've tried to look for more biblical but more useful language that perhaps opens biblical imagination and and less stereotype. Yeah, that's a great answer. So what we are looking to see, when we talk about evangelism and mission, we're wanting to see people experience the kingdom of God, not get them into church. Is that what you're saying in very basic language? Absolutely. The, the word evangelism comes from the Greek word evangelion, which just simply means good news. Uh, and, and we've turned it into some tongue-twisting, inaccessible thing that people just switch off on. Even Christians don't understand it. Or worse, they think evangelism's too hard. And that's why I love this podcast, because you're demystifying that and you're telling these wonderful stories and, and shining the light where it's happening in lots of places. Evangel- it's good news. So when you have some good news, you want to tell people, right? Um, I remember when I got engaged, I just wanted to tell everyone that Kim had said yes. Or uh, when, when your children have success at something, you you want to pass it on. So that's the nature of the good news that the Gospels are talking about. And and, and it actually should be very simple and very basic to share uh, and very natural and something that people want to hear about. But they're going to switch off the moment you start talking about all of the, the stuff that Christians get 
schooled in around church and all of those sorts of things. It's much purer and much simpler than that. It's it's good news. And and taking it even further, when Jesus unpacked that uh, in Luke four, um, when he was quoting from Isaiah, it's really practical good news, right? It's it's releasing prisoners, um, the oppressed. It's bringing sight to the blind. It's um, helping in in all of those literal and metaphoric illustrations that are quoted there, it's bringing good news to those circumstances. So it should motivate and free us to make a genuine impact in society. And and if we're not, I think we should ask whether we're shining the light of the kingdom. Yeah, it's a a great uh, challenge to all of us. You talk a lot about creative and relational communities that can shine the light of Christ in the community. Let's talk a little bit about that. What what does what does that mean? What's a creative and relational community? And maybe you could give us an example of that. Sure. Um, one one example that comes to mind is up in Nambour, in um, just outside the back of the Sunshine Coast. Probably lots of us have holidayed up in 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 the beautiful area of the Sunshine Coast. But Nambour's a town out the back, and they were talking with some other local churches around uh, how they could respond to need in the community and what they could do. And the churches had kind of fallen into the idea of planting a church together. And so they were starting to have those conversations. And that area actually has more churches already than just about every other part of Australia. And most of the churches that are existing are half full. And yet they were talking about planting another church. And a guy called Jerry, um, who was on the staff of churches across in Queensland said, have you actually asked God, does he want you to plant a church? And they all said, well, of course he does. Like That's what, what we're meant to do. And don't worry, ch- uh, church planting is great. So I'm really committed to that and it's very fruitful. But they hadn't actually prayed to the Lord of the harvest what he wanted to have happen. And so they started praying and pretty quickly their conversation said, well, maybe we should ask the community what its needs are. And so they did that, and, and they did that really creatively. They started researching, and they went to the local council, and they they set up what what we in the book describe as a SALT, a strategic action learning team. But don't worry about the jargon. They started asking the community what was needed, and actually, what emerged was the highest need in the community was men's mental health. There was no response anywhere, and there were lots of recent retirees and farmers with and, and high suicide rates. And men's mental health was actually a really genuine. Need. So as they started exploring, they came across men's sheds, which are brilliant responses for community and um, and, and reaching um, and helping people very practically. And it gets often men, although women nowadays are also participating in men's sheds, but it gets them to talk side by side as they make things and do community service projects and learn new skills. And it's ideal for that category of men. So all of a sudden, they started surveying in the community and, and Nambour Church of Christ said, well, we've got some land you can use. And um, other churches said, we've got people, we've got things. A, a local, it had just been after 2011 when there were the floods in Queensland. And so a big shed had been ruined. And so I think it was a farmer or someone said, or a company said, you can have our shed if you come and pick it up. So they had the shed, Bunnings gave them the tools and they filled it out. So all of a sudden they set up this men's shed and it was flooded with lots of men. Now the story just doesn't stop there because Tim, who's a, who's a mate of mine, but it was the pastor in the church at the time, he got actively involved in the men's shed and he was a bit like a chaplain really to the men's shed or he was the pastor of the church next door and he started engaging with all the men. And I'm 
for the sake of time here condensing the story. But these men started changing. And here's what's so funny, Tina. Their wives and their partners started saying, something's really different about this place. This is, this is really interesting. And they made the connection between Tim and the church and the men's shed. And Tim just started saying to these blokes, oh, would you like to come? We've got this on at the church or we're doing something. Or... And the wives started following and dragging their husbands along. And over 100 people came to Christ and joined the church in that local community. And so they met their spiritual eternal needs, but it actually was much more profound than that because it actually saved lives, many lives, and, and radiated good news, there it is again, in the local community. So that's what we're talking about. There's relationality, there's, there's close connection, but it's not just about setting up another Bible study or another small group. As good as they are, I'm in one and that's all, that's all great. But it was actually listening to what the need in the community is, following the lead of the Holy Spirit, who brought about a shed and free tools from Bunnings and local people. And as what happens then, there's momentum and people come out of the woodwork and, and that's still thriving today. So that's what we're talking about in Kingdom Communities. Lots of creative, God-led opportunities for sharing good news uh, with real need. Yeah, amazing. And just so many wonderful examples um, in the book. And I'm going to drop some links so that people can explore that further because I just, I just love it. Uh, something that was written well before COVID actually happened, but even seeing what, what you've written there and what you've documented in a more profound way, even now, you do say that churches are plateauing and even in decline. And so there is even a greater need to be creative and relational in communities. Are you seeing that even more, more so now after COVID? Yes, it's interesting. The book was written um, initially 2016, published 2018 before COVID. And uh, yeah, there was um, all of the data in the National Church Life Survey, the Australian Census, everything that I researched showed clearly that all churches uh, were in plateau or decline. There's one category that wasn't, um, and that was migrant churches. So the idea that Pentecostal churches were growing or thriving, and demographically, statistically, there was no evidence of that. Um, there may be individual churches growing through people transferring from other churches, but that's not kingdom growth. That's just shuffling people around on a boat. There really um, has been um, plateau and decline, uh, which is evidenced by the every year, the average age of Australian church attenders gets older and the inflow of children uh, is not what it was and outreach is not what it was. Through COVID, what was really interesting was the hardest thing for pastors and churches to come to grips with was the corporate nature of the church not being able to happen. Churches couldn't gather and you know dozens or hundreds of people couldn't gather at all. And churches you know scrambled really quick. I watched in the early days when all those different states were being locked down in March 2020, how there was so much energy put into transforming church into an online experience. Meanwhile, uh, people who are in small groups, people who are in smaller communities, um, certainly had plenty of adjustments, but there was care already in place um, and it was a very simple pivot for those those communities. What's been harder now is for the the churches that have spent, in, I'm in Melbourne, so that's been a you know a couple of years of a lot of lockdown. What's been harder is a lot of churches have not had everyone come back. Um, I've talked with pastors where their numbers are down by 30 or 40% uh, 
uh, of people who just haven't come back to that corporate experience. Meanwhile, all the little groups and the the people, the groups and areas where there's relational connectedness, um, they've grown and flourished. And more importantly than that, they've actually cared for each other and they've enabled and supported each other and done really practical things. Um, I've I've watched in I'm in a, a a small group in as part of our church where we we care for each other and and uh, we're very active. And I've actually watched. Uh, an increase in engagement in our small group of people wanting to care. We have a community meals that's run in Mitcham and members of our small group have been putting on those meals and getting involved and COVID's actually raised their awareness to get involved and shine the light of Jesus in the community. Um, and, and there's plenty of other examples of that. We've connected with people in the local community uh, who get food from local supermarkets and Costco and distribute it for free. So it's it's doing two things. Firstly, it's helping the poor and providing free food. But secondly, it's recycling and it's promoting the whole idea of food sustainability rather than wastage and landfill. And so they collect the food. Um, there's, I think, about 30 pickups through the week. And we have pantries out the front of our church and there's a Facebook page. And uh, we say we're getting a delivery of donuts Thursdays and donuts. It's a great day. Um, all of our church staff race out there. Um, but it could be strawberries. It could be all sorts of meat or all sorts of things, bread. And there's this huge pickup. And then all of a sudden, there's community engagement and conversations. And the poor are fed, but no one knows particularly who's the poor person because everyone's just participating in it. So all these things have sprung out of COVID because the the focus has been towards God and community rather than just trying to keep the wheels of church going. So, so don't don't get me wrong. We still have church services, and and just like any other church. But but what's interesting is everyone's come back. Uh, so um, we've 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 actually only lost one family, I think, and and we've sadly lost them over vaccine issues, which I know has been a, a red hot issue in some churches. And um, but outside of that, everyone's come back. So I think I think the kingdom communities thing with COVID has, has actually spurned some wonderful initiatives. Yes, absolutely. And I've heard that story myself many times over it. It's just wonderful that people have got engaged. So let's talk about Andrew, say just a regular small group in a church and and a lot of churches and small groups are hearing what you're saying. You're giving some language to maybe things that we've been experiencing. If I want to, as a small group, be a part of, say, a kingdom community or really engage with our language today, what would be some practical things that I could do, like as a small group of, of people, as my form of, of reaching out, basically? How would that work? How would it look? That's a great question. Um, and I guess I would start by saying the the aim is not for everyone to be frontline evangelists. Uh, I was at a junior football match last night and just watching the nature of a football match, they have a forward line. For people who don't care about football, this will help. They have a forward line, but they have plenty of others, 18 people on the field. Uh, in one team, they have plenty of people running around all over the ground, and then they have a back line. Not everyone can kick goals. Not everyone can have that particularly joyful part of being a good football team. The good teams have everyone using their gifts and strengths and position as a team. And and I, I think of kingdom communities and evangelism very much like that. God has gifted some people as evangelists, and we need to shine the light um, and open the door for those folks 
to, to do their amazing work and, and kick those goals. But they can't do it if the body isn't functioning as a body. So if, you, if someone was in a small group, I would say start by loving on all the people in the group and building a sense of genuine, hospitable community because that's that's where it starts you're not going to just cold call people and say come to my group we actually don't care about each other i I would start by actually just loving the life of the group and out of that it's pretty simple to do two things you can either go looking for need or you can just start talking to each other about what's going on in their families and in their friends and in their lives and start responding it's it's all it, it it's going to be about casseroles it's going to be about care about walking dogs i mean it's just such a great opportunity at the moment as various people get covered uh, to walk their dogs to drop in meals to just practice really basic care and that's what that, i would just say really basic stuff of just responding and practicing good news that where the church of jesus christ is should result in genuine real measurable uplift in a local community and if it's not happening then we're probably just living inside the walls of the church Um, whereas if we practice community and we respond to need it's it's not really more it's no harder than that yeah exactly and it, it is what you're saying about shining the light how can we as a group as the christ followers shine the light and then as we build those genuine relationships with people have genuine community with them people ask the questions i know you've got some great stories of people that you've actually been able to share your faith with just through uh, being a part of and caring for people tell us a little bit about that ample stories i'll give you one uh, that's that's really cool and kind of backing up the point that we've just been discussing um this is quite an amazing story. Uh, this guy, uh, and I'll, I'll just mask his country just a little bit to, to protect him. He's from a Middle Eastern country and um, he was looking at a Muslim country and he was looking at the way that religion was practiced and the rules and the strictness and the, the executions and the capital the capital punishment and the beatings and the way. And, and he thought there's got to be more to it than this. I just don't like this expression of of. of of religion and, and and life. I don't want to do life like this. So he Googled over the last few years, the world's most livable city. Where should I live? And Melbourne kept coming up, right? Because pre-COVID, we were always, num- was Melbourne or Vancouver? And he said, I want to go to Melbourne. Um, I, I want to go and live in Melbourne if that's the world's most livable city. Um, he's an economist. He's a bright guy, but um, you know, he had to find a way out. So he started searching his people who lived in Melbourne through social media. And he, he met one of them. And uh, they became friends, and ultimately they actually married. Uh, there's a whole side um, story there that I, I, I'll keep. I'll keep us for time. Um, but the whole thing happens, and he migrates out to Australia and chooses to come along. And and this this um, this girl who he'd, he'd befriended and and then married, she invites him along to church. And he's a Muslim. He's never seen anything like a Christian church. Um, this is just like a, a bizarre experience. And she was helping with morning tea, just a really basic thing in the kitchen, chatting with people. And so he can do that. Uh, in fact, his coffee is brilliant. Um, but he, he he can do that. And he's just watching Christians. And people are shaking his hand and welcoming him. And he's a huggy kind of guy. And he couldn't believe this. And tracking along with him in relationship. And he comes up to me one morning and he says, I want to become a Christian. And I said, that's, that's great. Um, should, can, can I come around and can we talk a little bit more? And so I went round to his house and we had 
coffee and dates and it was fantastic. And I said, tell me, why do you want to become a Christian? And he said, I just look at the life of these people and I want what they've got. I mean, <laughs> good answer, hey? And his 12-year-old daughter was with him. And, and I, I looked at her and, and she said, I want that too. Uh, I want to become. I want to become like these people, um, and I said, "Well, there's, you know, from the country he's from." I said, "There's other churches in the area who speak that language that I could connect you with if you wanted to join that." He said, "No, no, no. We want to be like these people," and so they gave their lives to Christ and they've joined the church and they're going through a baptism um, process with me at the moment, and some studies, and they'll be soon baptized. Um, I, I don't think that's that's not coming forward at the end of a service or any of that stuff, which still has a place in our culture, that's just simply Christians living out their faith, sharing good news radiantly with light and, and, and letting God do the rest. Um, and, and I had the joy of, of leading those two to Christ. And, and, uh, and it's a great cost too, because I'm protecting the country that they're from because we're, they can't go home. They would be executed now for their faith. Um, that's the reality of where they've come from. So this is a very sincere uh, sacrificial decision that they've made. Uh, yeah, lots of stories like that. It's not as if revival's happening in our church. I think it's much more gentle and under the radar. But as people are just living out good news, uh, practicing the kingdom, um, God, God does the work, the rest. And and even even someone like me, who's not a gifted evangelism, can be used in that. Yeah, amazing. And it's it's just so easy what you're saying Andrew about kingdom communities each one of us just you know shining the light being good news as you're saying in all aspects of what that is it's 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 very doable where have we gone wrong Andrew well we've built an empire and we've built we've followed a modernist corporate structure of thinking it's well there's many things and there's a whole lot of cultural layers I could say but the thing that immediately comes to mind is we've thought it's about building churches like companies or something like that um and um pastors have spent more time learning management and um and business models than reading the Bible and um, praying and basic ancient spiritual disciplines that have held the church strong for centuries, millennia. So I, I, don't, I think we have the, the resources. It feels a bit like when Ezra had to go and discover the Bible. Uh, lots of people talk about the Bible, but they don't study it and read it and practice it. Uh, so I think the, there's some of that if we've followed the models of the world rather than uh, actually being practicing Christians. So Christianity itself and, and Christian leadership's not even really, I mean, it's not really a concept in the Bible. It's much more about functions and roles of elders or deacons or bishops. or So there's leadership aspects to that, but it's not about the CEO model. It's much more spiritually and, and, and formed by Christian practices and uh, and, and formation and catechesis and living it out. So I think we've been a bit subverted in those sorts of directions. Um, but I think we've also disempowered people because in building those organisations, uh, we've said, sit in a row and practice the faith a certain way. Now, I, I'm first in the queue for a good seeing and a good worship. It's just nothing better than being under an anointed worship leader. But it's just not in the Bible in terms of a practice. Uh, the most that could fit into a local church in biblical times, the first 300 years, was about 40. 
And that was because that was the biggest house of the richest person. That's what they could house. They were house churches. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have seminaries. It was often illegal or they were persecuted. We know all of this. Um, And yet they thrived and grew to be 10% of the Roman Empire, according to people like Alan Crider and Rodney Stark, historians. So when I read the Bible, it's local, it's relational, it's life-giving, it's caring. Um, it has commitments to basic spiritual practices like discernment and Bible study and relationality and things like that, prayer. And, and I don't know whether it's so much as where we've gone wrong as much as what path are we on. And I have found the, the fruit and, and the joy of, of trying to practice the faith locally and relationally um, through, a, through a local church, um, which which has led into wonderful connections. So it's it's led me to be very involved in our cricket club and our football club um, as a parent and in cricket um, as a uh, as a bit of a hack player as down captaining in the fifths in the club. It's about sharing and radiating that good news, and God just opens up amazing opportunities if you're just present. So I'll give you an example if if you want me to of um, in cricket. A couple of years ago, we had a father-son team, and we were in the grand final. And this is this was quite quite an extraordinary day. It was the week when COVID, um, kind of everything went into lockdowns, and we're playing the grand final. And it ended up being a tie, which in cricket's very rare. But this tie went a little further than that because the wicketkeeper who caught the ball to tie the match to take the last wicket. Uh, actually died with the ball in his hands. He had a, the coroner found out, a, a tear in his aorta and bled out. But we didn't know that at the time. And so there was two nurses there and the, there's children, father-son team. So kids are watching a, a man, one of the dads die um, and his eyes roll back in his head. It's very dramatic. Two nurses performing uh, mouth to mouth on the ground and then three ambulances and took him off to hospital and we went back to the club. It was the grand final night and we were the only team in a grand final. So everyone from the club was there and carrying on. Everyone's having drinks and talking and, and just, and then the message came through to a couple of us that this guy had died. Uh, so it was very tragic and grown men are sobbing and it, it really went through the club with, with huge ramifications. It was just so extraordinary. And the, the way that he died too, just of holding the ball in his hands in a tied grand final, it was quite extraordinary. But the opportunity, because I was present, I just all of a sudden found myself in a, in a place where I was running pastoral care for a whole cricket club and uh, got all the, the kids who'd seen this and their parents in a room and did some basic grief counselling and helped them understand what had happened and prepared them. Um, through that week, I prepared a grief counselling sheet and, and we did a bit of a a reflection service a couple of nights later because then everything went into lockdown and we couldn't meet. We set up a care structure, but the avenues it's open just simply by being present. So I led no one to Christ. There was not an evangel. It was inappropriate to, to do anything like that. It was it was a case of good news and being present um, in that community and bringing pastoral care. Uh, but it's opened up into the last two years since that event of amazing opportunities to be very present and have conversations and and walk with people and mentor um, people and guy who was um, 
just just narrowly avoided going into jail for some serious criminal theft. Um, able to mentor and walk with him, and it's good news, hey? This is this is where we're meant to be, um, just in local community groups. And I, there's nothing special about me. I'm I mean, in fact, if anything, I've got some disadvantages. I like books. Um, I'm a bit, you know, I I, uh, I like theology. Uh, I learn big words. Um, like you, I've done a doctorate. Um, they actually can become problematic. Um, so there's a lot more people ahead of us in the queue who can do this, but it's about saying good day and being present and caring. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. What an incredible story and a great opportunity again to to be the salt and light. And Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. Now I'm going to drop all the links, as I said, to Kingdom Communities. I just so value this conversation today. I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to this and you can connect further with Andrew. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Tina. It's been great to be with you. 